There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Really, Richard, I think that the issue here, which we can talk more about, um, you're not casting to where they are. Honestly, when it comes to baits, you want to be pigeonholed as a Japanese maker because they're on, held on high regard. Right. right, right. <laughs> My bad on that for totally being the guy who told you Bruce Willis is uh, dead the whole time in The Sixth Sense. If you have to take a plant with you to go out into nature, you don't belong there, man. There's a nice thing about nature, man. There are lots of plants already out there. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that sees one tiny tulip pop through the mulch and just assumes <laughs> there's shit blowing up on top water somewhere all of a sudden. I'm Joe Cermelli. And I'm the equally optimistic Hayden Samak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah, why did I do that? Because man, is it starting to feel a lot like spring where I am. I can't say spring has sprung. But I can say it is springing, and the long-term yeah. forecast looks good. Uh, we talked about some crappie action uh, last week. They're, they're starting to go. Trout openers coming up uh, for uh, the stalker mobile people out there. Love you guys. Um, but yeah, dude, on the terrestrial side, we got some buds on the trees, starting to see some, uh, some, some signs of things waking up, shall we say. But that is not the case for you yet, is it, my friend? No, no. Well, <laughs> out, out in Montana, we're still like a, a little ways away from signs of spring. Um, and we will be for a while, man. That's just how it is. But is as long as I'm living vicariously through you, what do you have on your early spring agenda? Now, before we get there, real quick, because I, I I know that you are a little bit of a uh, of a mushroom guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit of a mushroom guy. Um, yes, that so that is on my agenda. Uh, but that's yeah. gonna be that's gonna be April, mid April around yeah. here. Are you going for morels? Yes, that is a thing I will be doing very shortly, thanks to uh, some mentoring from a local buddy who who opened my eyes to it. I said, these do not exist here. And he said, well, come look at this. And it's like, mm. once somebody lets you in, I you can, fi- you can figure it out. So yeah, that's coming up. Um, Shad, of course, which I brought up uh, last week, there's... there's 
the shad fishing is one thing, but also just when you live on a on a river like I do, where there's a spring runs of things, anadromous fish. Uh, it, it's not just those or fish andronimus, per se. as I like to say, andronimus, andronimus <laughs> strain. Um, yeah. You know, it's just like this awakening. It's sort of like once those fish, those shad and and the herring start running the river, it's just like the kickoff to everything. I know once they're there that I can now get bowfin to bite. And now I know Mm. once they're there, there's going to be the migratory stripers coming up. And I know the catfish are going to be easier to catch and and more woken up. So it's just like this whole just bristling of of life. I love Uh. a river in spring. I love yeah. a river in spring. I really do. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've officially booked my uh, my tickets back, and I am going to be around from about like the the twenty third of April mm-hmm. until the I think like the fifth or the sixth of May. So we'll have to link up out there. Now I'm again I'm particularly jealous of your early jump on spring, and one of the things that I'm particularly jealous of is those deep shad-induced bends you'll mm. be putting in your rods. Yes. And those rods will be made by our sponsors, 13 Fishing. They will. Dude, I'm trying to pick out a couple of uh, of setups out here for uh, for Ice Off. Mm-hmm. And I... I'm I'm like struggling, man. I like so I want something for walleye and maybe something I can troll around for like kokanees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you are a a much more seasoned conventional angler than I am, and I know you have some thoughts on this. What yeah. do you got for me? Yeah, well, so to be clear, right, thirteen doesn't really doesn't really make a a. Uh, a dedicated trolling rod. And, right. but I will say this, I have a lot, I spend a lot of time with the fate steelhead rods, right? For, for shad, as a matter of fact. And while they're certainly not advertised as trolling rods, they have a very similar length and taper and, and action, um, to, to like walleye trolling rods. Okay. Right. And, well, I mean, because so what, what are you, what are you trolling? You, you have, do you have a boat to do this out of, I assume you're not going to troll on land. I well, I got my eye on one of those uh, square tail old towns. Mm, okay. Yeah, throw okay. like a little four horse on there and like you know putter around some of the reservoirs up. Gotcha, here. gotcha. So, I mean, do you intend to use planer boards? Like you going all in the whole deal? Well, I, I'm certainly not downriggers. <laughs> but, well, yeah, it'd yeah. be a little yeah, cattywampus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, uh, planer boards, sure. Yeah, so maybe like the the eight foot six inch steelhead rods. I another thing too, uh, not that I do a lot with planer boards, but you can get very small ones. Guys actually use them for for crappie fishing more than yeah. walleyes. So like with one of those really light Lindy um, planer boards with those rods, I actually think that would be a, a really good trolling setup. I mean, if you're into trolling, which I'm not, but you know, do do your thing. You do you. I I I think it'd be really cool, man. And like you know, I, I don't know. It's a it's a fun way to uh to spend a little like uh like you know you're camping, you want to go fishing, you don't want to like monitor everyone messing around with uh with like you know casting rods. You don't want to do that whole song sure. and dance. Speaking of though, like what about a casting setup? Uh, I mean, dude, I use like the Omen Black seven foot one. Medium or medium light for I mean for pretty much everything right get get those uh, and, and you're set um, as far as reels I don't know I assume you're 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 talking spinning reels are you, are you going the bait caster route Who do you think I am man You, you know <laughs> I, you know I I suck at using a bait caster dude I got a bird's nest oh. when I was about 
12 years old and my dad's like fancy new setup and I'm like still scarred by the fall. Oh, still, still, still traumatic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I should have known that. Um, well, spinners are easy, right? Kalon C like size three O would be great. Um, I don't know. As long as you get the right size, it's kind of hard to go wrong with, with any of them. But, um, I've been using Kalons for a ton of stuff this, this past season, Lake trout all the way down to the little ones for, uh, trout and panfish. Hmm. All right. Well, 13, uh, this is your formal notice. There's an email inbound. Anyway, uh, hey, you and I were talking about doing a, a bent podcast opening day spectacular in a couple weeks, but we all know that fish wait for no man and opening day is just a Saturday to a lot of us. So <laughs> let's talk about early spring fishing. I'm talking like ice off, ultra early, first trip type shit. Yeah. And I have, I have just the guy for that uh, with, with the baits for that. Uh, this week on on our Makers segment, we're going to be joined by Brent Hashimoto of Hashimoto Concept, and he's going to talk about baits and bass, but particularly what we're going to touch on a little bit is how these larger swim baits, right, in the, there's a whole scene around swim baits, um, why they come into play in the early season, no matter where you live. Today, we're doing our tool time salute. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> It's a real classic. It's handmade bamboo. Look at this. Well, that's a good looking rod. Yeah, well, this is handmade quality shit we're talking here. <laughs> Joining us today for Makers, I'm very excited about this. The second guest on the Makers segment, Mr. Brent Hashimoto of Hashimoto Concepts. What's going on, man? Not much, guys. Appreciate you guys having me. It's an honor. How's how's everything uh, north of the border there? So you're up in Ontario, correct? That's correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And when uh, now, if you've been with Bent for a while, you, you you probably recognize some of Brent's work. And it's funny because when I when I reached out to you, Brent, you're a, you're a humble guy, and you're like, you know, there are much better swim bait makers. That's what you do than than me. Which I, I understand. There's so many guys doing this stuff out there. There's so many people we could cover, but we have some history, man. You you've made a, a a killer bait for a, a bent contest a long time ago, and I've also gotten a chance to fish some of your stuff. So um, while while I'm sure we'll we'll do some other swim bait guys down the road, uh, it was important to me for you to be first, man, because I I, I love what you make. I, I very much appreciate that. And I mean, and you guys have always been super supportive of me from the beginning. And like I said, coming from a guy that you guys appreciate just the garage builders, the basement builders, being that to the core, like just literally having a basement that I, I'm able to produce this in, you guys have always been super supportive. Yeah, man. I mean, that, that's very much what we're about. And um, yeah, we, we, we like folks that just make cool stuff. That's like the, that's like the whole deal, dude. There are so many big box brands, so many folks that are, uh, you know, there are just so many folks that get lost in that wash and don't get the exposure that they deserve. And ultimately, it not only benefits you, but it benefits the people using your gear because they end up getting turned on to all these either, you know, uh, cool pieces of equipment they didn't think of or better quality products than they previously had access to, man. It's just a win-win for everybody. For sure. Yeah, for I, sure. but I, I also think that um, you know, it's a very pertinent time of year to talk mm. about the kind of baits that you make. Now, so everybody knows you make both hard baits and uh, hand-poured soft plastics, right? Correct. Um, you know, and there, there's a misconception, I think, with with swim baits that these are just big fish lures. And a lot of guys like Oliver and I have proven, like, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Like, uh, you're not just fishing them for 10-pound bass, You right? know, Correct. as 
as, as like a neophyte to the world of like swim baits, I'll tell you what, growing up and like, you know, watching a bunch of, for instance, musky fishing videos, right? That is totally the impression that I'm under. So I, I, I think that I'm going to be representative of a lot of listeners here. <laughs> well, I think it, loosely speaking, and Brent, if I'm speaking out of turn, let me know. Like, um, you know, in the southern U.S. right now, you, you're probably already starting to come into the spawn. And these big baits certainly have application there with fish that are, you know, defending. And then in the north, further north, you're getting to that ice out in the, in the farther north, um, you know, exactly. m- much further up and sort of in the mid-range of the country where I am now, it's just starting to be that pre-spawn time. So in all those applications, it's a great time of year when, when fish are looking for a fairly big meal. So it's a great time to fish these kind of lures. Now, I'm not a largemouth guy, so I have not thrown the lure you've given me at any largemouth, but I, I've already caught stripers on it. I posted those pictures a yes. while back, yeah. river stripers. But, um, you know, being from Canada, give us a little bit of the backstory, dude. How did how did you get into bait making? What, what triggered all this? Bait, well, I mean... It actually had nothing to do with baits in general. I I went through a knife making phase, and I <laughs> I made knives like the forged and fire style. I had a little forge. I made knives, and I loved doing it. But I have a small family, and time restraints sure. limited me for getting things hot, banging out metal. It's so. But I found myself really focusing on the handles. Mm-hmm. I did custom knives for people. I would shake their hands. I would feel their hand, and then I would carve a handle. That fit perfectly. It was right. about the detail wait, in that wait, perfect wait, woodwork. Hold, hold, hold on a second. Wait, would you, you only shake their hands once and know the dimensions? How does that work? Yeah. It, well, you get, it, it's not like the contour of their hand. It's the feel of their hand, the size of their hand, the bulk of their hand. Interesting. Some guys have small hands. They want to, you know that a more narrow handle will fit in that, yeah. that hand. Got it. The big bear paw guys, you can put a little bit more girth on the wood when it when it comes to making the handles. So, but I found myself making knives just to make the handles. Uh, I've always it. been a fisher my got whole it. life. I, I have an art background. I love carving. I've always loved woodwork. And it was actually talking to my buddy Carson about baits. And it just kind of lined up that I was like, oh, there's a world where you can do that. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's just try to take a piece of wood and see what you can do with it. Right. And when I say it evolved overnight, I mean... It's a rabbit hole that I years sure. later still chasing. It's it's something else, but that's kind of the origin in it. It came from handles into making a, a custom bait, uh, and then just kind of living my life towards sure. that. Sure. Now, now, so everybody knows you. This is still you are not doing this full time, right? This is no. still a side project for you. Um, yes. But I, I've always been impressed by the um, amount of. I mean, you are always posting new stuff, which tells me side project or not, man. Like this is not like, well, I'll make one bait this month. Right. Like you are, you are yeah. getting after it. And yeah. like I said, you do the hand poured swim baits thing, and uh, we can touch on that a little bit. But there, there's sort of two worlds. Like that's it's that's a cult in and of itself. And there are, mm-hmm. are guys who believe in advantages to a hand poured bait versus a um, injection molded bait. But you know, I'm, I'm most interested in, in in the hard baits. So now um, these days, is everything you're making in, in that genre wood or are you playing with composites and things now too? I, I mainly deal in order to keep up to the, the orders that I do get, uh, you kind of have to, I shouldn't say have to, but for me, it's more feasible to work with resin. So right. I car, I hand carve all my masters. I do all of the swim tests, everything on wood, uh, get it to where I want it. And then I pour a master, make my own molds. And then with resin, I then develop 
the bait from there. So then I go read, do all the weighting of it, make sure it works specific because the thing I've learned about swim baits is that the guys that fish swim baits are very particular on how the swim yeah. bait works. Yeah. And I mean, to the point where I never, ever would have realized the details. And that's one of the cool things about this world is that the guys that are usually buying these baits, they're very custom in their own right. Mm-hmm. So they want to be able to have it very, very slow suspend or float so that they can put the exact amount of lead tape on the base so that they can have it sink at their own rate. Like it's, it, they're all very customizable. So I need to spend a lot of time in the development phase to have a bait that can that can be manipulated to to swim in the, the way that the user wants it. And that's the biggest part of my job. I mean, my hobby, I should say. Sure. Uh, is is developing a bait that everybody can use, but that won't fail on adding a little bit more belly weight or or changing the build of it. Like, sure. And that's also the enjoyable part of making. So I, I think it's, it's like a fair question to ask because I, I really want your opinion. I mean, it's no secret that... Um, there are a lot of people that do this these days. Like custom baits are are a, a big thing, Tons. right? Yep. So you know, going into this, what do you what do you think sets sets you apart? Like, I, I have some ideas, but I, I want to know what you think. Like, what's the mindset? It's like there's a ton of guys that do this. So what am I doing different, or what am I doing better? Or how do I make myself stand out here? So that's, I mean, that's a question I kind of ask myself. <laughs> Every day I go into the basement and I start making baits or I start pouring because the the level of capability out there for people, like it still blows my mind. And then you have companies that specifically revolve around just making perfect molds for you. So mm-hmm. you can napkin draw something, send it to a company and they'll send you back. It's not cheap, sure, but they'll send you back something that makes you look like you're a per, like a steady running production, right? So mm. doing it all myself, um, I almost feel like that's part of what keeps me in the market. And that's valid. Is, I mean, there is there is something to a handmade lore versus one that's that's been mass produced, even on a small scale. I, I, I get that, you know. Right. One thing that I'm like particularly uh, curious about is I, I've been, if you see me looking down my phone, I'm like looking at your Instagram and your baits have like, obvious obvious like japanese artistic influence in them all right i I, i'd be interested to talk about how you like incorporate that into your into your bait i mean like to me like that's like hugely unique and like really interesting and you get kind of in this intersection between like art right and function and you know i i i wonder how you navigate that i know we talked to uh we talked to ryan ebert right and he Mm -hmm. makes show decoys and he makes working decoys. Like, where do yes. you find yourself in the intersection of those two things? And I like, and when I listen to that episode, and I, I that specific part, I found very, very, um, like it resonated with me because he said, like, he doesn't make a he, he doesn't make a showpiece. He makes a piece that works, and if you hang it on the wall, great, that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I that resonated with me because I feel the same way because you might hang it on the wall. But your kid in 10 years from now might take it off the wall and be like, check out this sweet lure and throw it. And if it doesn't work, I, I literally put my name on every single bait that yeah. I make. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want 10 years from now to be like, what was this joke? Like, what was this fad that was happening? Do you know what I mean? Like, Sure. Not, honestly, when it comes to baits, you want to be pigeonholed as a Japanese maker because they're on, held on high regard. Right. But it's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, uh, 
it's it's more i don't want to be fake to that i don't want to use that as sure. as the opposite as like waving my flag like i'm a japanese bait maker when i'm from canada yeah. my parents yeah. are from canada but it is a part of my heritage and i do and i do love things i do love things japanese and to be to be a part of that is is important to me and i don't want that to be just kind of pushed by the wayside because i am proud of it and to have it as part of my emblem and everything like that, that that's really important to me sure and like i said it doesn't hurt that japanese baits are pretty high <laughs> high regard yeah so you want you want you want to be true to it but you don't want to be viewed as like a gimmick it's an aspect exactly. of it but exactly. it's not the entirety of it that's yeah, exactly it that's and that's it. that's absolutely not how your stuff is viewed i know that but at the same time and anytime i get my my hands on a bait like yours and, and from other builders and we talked a little bit on our last maker segment about how you see this in striper plugs where they're this commodity traded like 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 Bitcoin, like they're never going to hit water. It's just like, who has what? And I right. disagree with that. Yet when I get a lure from you, like knowing the love that went into that, um, the day I, I sent you the pictures of, of that thing that after a few uh, stripers hammered it, you know, you're sitting there going, God, do I throw this? Because if I lose it, I'm going to be so upset. But at the same time, I'm like, I know you'd be more stoked about getting a picture of your lure in a fish's Definitely. mouth than yes. sitting on my shelf. So Dude, I'm ordering um, one of these today. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, though, like, what was the first sort of milestone for you in terms of uh, a picture back? Or it, maybe it was with you and your friends, you know, even in testing, like, what was the first fish that was like, shit, yeah, I got it. Like, fish will eat this. This is designed how I want. As soon as anybody out here listening that doesn't make, if you just take a piece of wood, shave it down into a shape, you put a joint in it, weight it appropriately, and pull it through the water and it makes movement, It'll it's going to make you yeah, happy. Right, it's going to yeah, make yeah. you happy. It's going to give you the butterflies. <laughs> yeah. um, the more work you put into that, the more it works, uh, the more fails you have. There's tons of fails. Like I have just, I have boxes full of failed lures that don't work. Um, when you get them to work, it's 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 a different feeling. And when I say that, because of this, my fishing itself has been reduced because those times I have orders. I don't like making people wait. Um, and so that's, I'm glad you brought that up, not to interrupt, but like that's what people are like, oh, I want to be a guide. Oh, I want to own a bait and tackle shop. Oh, I want a fly shop. Oh, I want to make lures. And it's like, cool. So you don't really want to fish much anymore. That's, that's like, exactly that's, right. That's the that's rub exactly with a right. lot of things in this industry. So That's exactly right. But pictures like yours, I don't have stripers. When I get a picture like that, it when I say I get like overwhelmed with emotion, I got pictures from a guy in Australia with flathead, like giant flathead that smashed nice. the same bait, actually, at Kodachi. Yeah. Fish that I'm not just going outside and going to catch myself. Mm -hmm. Like the feeling, it's it's overwhelming. I get the I get the love of seeing people use my baits like and catching stuff. I, I imagine you've sent some baits pretty far and wide by this point. For the yes. largemouth freaks out there, what's what's the biggest one you know of on one of your baits? Nine pounds is the biggest that I've seen, okay. but I don't get weights a lot. I just get pictures sent to my inbox sure. with it. I don't sure. really get many details. The one guy said it was his PB at nine pounds. And that is, I don't care if your PB is four pounds. Like if your best is four, if if it's on my bait, sure, I know that my bait is what you're going to use for the rest of your life. Like yeah. fishermen are just like that. We know that. Yeah, You can have that old crankbait or top water that you've used since you were 12 and it just works so that's what you buy and you might skunk on it but as long as you get those hits on it if i can be that bait that's that's a huge honor to me to have but because it's not even about pb either i've had like big rock bass smash a big sure you know what i mean it, sure it just depends yeah. on the fish that's in the area that you're that you're working right yeah yeah 
So there were <laughs> you you once painted a bait by a bent fan request with me and Miles <laughs> Nolte on it. Let's forget that one for a second. Beyond that, what's the weirdest thing or or pattern you've ever put on a bait for somebody? I I mean that bar none was was, I, the, I know, was the weirdest. But, but I'd never, like to hear about another one. <laughs> but yes, but uh um I don't get too many to be honest, I don't get too many odd requests. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of like real fish. I've had uh any any of the weird ones, it's kind of me stepping out of my box to try to incorporate like more traditional art into into a bait. But outside of that portrait i don't really have odd requests there's odd color schemes and stuff like that but it's it's not odd in the world of fishing right, right. like right. neon pinks with sure with like a, a subtle green belly like they sound weird together but then you put it on a bait and you're like it fishes I yeah guess. Yeah. It also works on watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> so, so knowing this isn't full time, man. I mean, you know what 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 is what is your hope for the future? Where do you see this going? Is this kind of stable, and you're enjoying what you're doing, and sort of found homeostasis in balancing bait making with the rest of your life? Or, you know, given the opportunity, if you could if you could go all the way and make this full time, is that what you'd really love to do? I would like that is super important to me. I, I would right now. I'm at a spot right now though that. The amount that I can produce is getting close to the maximum level before something has to give. Sure. So, sure. And I also don't, there's a lot of places that you have to wait six months for your bait or five, you know, there's this huge, and I don't believe in that, especially because people find you, they want their bait right now. Mm -hmm. So, even asking four weeks is a lot. And that's generally what my weight is right now, between four and five weeks. Right. Um, so, Right now, I found a good spot that I'm. I can still love my family. I can right. still do my job and not uh, have it conflict at all. But and then I can still take care of all my orders. But you're what you're asking. I'm getting close to that point where a decision's got to be made one way or another. But right, right now, I'm in a totally happy place, and I can keep up with what I'm doing. Like I'm in a good spot. And, and the baits are very, very obviously in demand. I'll, I'll, I'll point out if you uh, if you heard me being kind of quiet in this segment, I was just trying to buy one, um, and they are they are currently unavailable. Uh, I did I, I, I did buy a sweatshirt though, and I'm I'm looking for forward to uh to that coming you, in. You should have asked me for my code. I have a private code for Hashimoto. Nah, that's all right. Man. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> If uh, if folks were looking to uh, to buy some of your baits, where would they? Uh, how how can they find you, man? So up until this point this year, I kind of made a little bit of a turn. I was 100% custom prior to 2022, and that was pushing it back. So this year, I'm trying to gear down and start to do more of a bait drop. It gets more baits in people's hands. It's just mm -hmm. a little less con like custom. Uh, and then I'm leaving open, I'll maybe per each drop five or 10 custom baits. It might be a little bit more, but that's at the cost of getting the exact paint job you want. Um, but that, that'll be drops on my website um, yeah. in the future. I want everybody to say that I have one of these lures, and especially in the custom swim bait world, you just go and start Googling them and some people are like, Oh, that's a, that's a mortgage payment for that, that bait, right? <laughs> like it's, it starts to get, it starts to get uh, a little high and 
just the price of an independent builder like myself, we're not buying bulk like the big guys are, right? We have to buy within our means, which obviously drives up the price of the cost sure. of the product. Well, hopefully this uh, this segment will get a few more in a, in a few more bent listener hands. Maybe you've gotten some reach out from uh, our crew already. But, um, dude, I'm a few weeks away from being able to throw that, that bait of yours on the river here as soon as the temps come up a little bit. And uh, one of these days, dude, if you're ever down stateside, we got to get together and, and, and throw some. Uh, that would be awesome. I, w- I would love that so much. And I just want to throw out that if anybody's in Ontario, I don't know when this is coming out, but March 20th, that's this Sunday, there's a, a fishing show in Ontario in Peterborough. It's my first booth I'm going to have. You'll be able to pick up those nice. baits in person uh, March 20th. And then the musky world up here, it's, it's a whole different thing. And there is a musky odyssey on April 2nd. Uh, in Hamilton, and I'm going to try to get a few baits into that. Uh, hopefully, the musky guys don't eat me up too much, <laughs> but uh, I should have some baits uh, available at those two spots in person if you are in Ontario, Canada during those two days. You will get uh, both those plugs in in plenty of time for people to uh, join you at those events, man. Awesome. Um, I, hopefully, I'll be sending you a few more pictures this season, but we appreciate you coming on, Brent. Well, we'll be in touch with that. We'll be in touch. All right, brother. Take care. Thank you, guys. You know, as I, as I mentioned, I am indeed a uh, swim bait neophyte. Mm-hmm. Um, never done a ton of fishing with them, but I always had it in my head that, w- that they were for uh, big southern bass. But now right. I have a uh, I have a bunch of ideas and some yeah I guess, I guess some insight into that culture. So I, I think this might end up being the summer of conventional fishing. Well, there you go, man. I mean, I, I would put, as, as, as Brent kind of mentioned, I'd put your order in soon because it's going to take him a little while. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it's weird. Swim baits, people have that idea of this is a big bait for a big fish. That's not totally the case. They're also really popular in, in the tournament circuit, uh, which is funky because they do take some dedication. But if, if you're huh. good at using them, like our friend Oliver and I, and, and you can commit to them, um, you know, they can, they can, they can pay off much better than, than finesse baits at certain times. Um, anyway, speaking of tournaments, it's time for our weekly tournament that we call fish news. Fish news. That escalated quickly. All right. Hey, quick apology, uh, to the guy who wrote in, give me, give me a lip, give me a lip boy for, for, <laughs> for spoiling the plot line of the old man in the sea last week. I was a bit shocked, right? He was like, I've been thinking about reading that for so long, and now I don't have to. Uh, whoops, I guess. But, like, dude, it'll, it'll take you two hours to read. It's a very short book. Um, it's a very small commitment. I, I guess I assume pretty much everyone was forced to read that in school anyway, or, or uh, if not, you've seen one of the movies. My bad on that for totally being the guy who told you Bruce Willis is uh, dead the whole time in The Sixth Sense. So <laughs> make sure you don't ruin like Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet or, you know. Yeah, we've also been getting some flack about like reading lately. It's like, I feel like it's like you should put down that to that TV and read. It's like, dude, like I, well, I, I we don't have time to like devour books. Like Miles yeah. was the book guy, you know, it's not a lack of want. It's a lack of time. I have two kids. I can't read. Well, uh, the <laughs> other thing is, is like, I felt like we gave like a very thoughtful critique <laughs> into a like literature based news story and like offered up genuine academic points. Yeah. And people are like, why do you hate reading so much? I'm like, I don't <laughs> hate reading. 
God. Anyway, let's get off of that. Oh, On to yeah. news. Uh, starting with conservation minutes, here's what I have, uh, which only loosely qualifies. Uh, an initiative to preserve tequila fish that began in 1998 has finally resulted in uh, its reintroduction into Mexican rivers. The tequila fish, formerly extinct in the wild, is the first Mexican species to come back from extinction, which is notable. Conservationists, however, acknowledge that saving a drab green seven centimeter long fish that most people have never heard of has been a long road and a lot of work. Still, they hope it may serve as a rallying cry to help safeguard the country's rivers. So if you're in old Mexico doing a little micro fishing and happen to catch a tequila fish, what should you do? So yeah. that's what I got. Hayden, what do you got, man? My conservation minute is uh, biologists are looking to save the tequila worm previously <laughs> pickled in the bottom of your tequila shot. <laughs> so uh, for my conservation minutes, uh, let's hit another species folks are trying to save. The, uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service listed the big sandy crayfish as threatened and the... I, I don't know why I do this to myself. The Guyandot River crayfish <laughs> as a uh, guillondet. I don't know, uh, river crayfish as endangered per the Endangered Species Act in 2016. U.S. Fish and Wildlife has now completed the next phase in their plan to protect the crawfish, establishing 440 stream miles of habitat deemed essential for the species' survival in the wild. These waters run through private, public, and state-held lands. And no matter how much you care or don't care about these crayfish, it's good news because it means one thing, clean water. Anyway, this, uh, this, by the way, came from newsenterprise.com. I'm just going to read this as a direct quote here. Mm -hmm. The critical habitat rule will be published in the Federal Registry today. The rule, comments, and materials the service received, as well as supporting documentation used in preparing the rule, are available for public inspection at www.federalregister.gov slash public hyphen inspection. Search for docket number FWS-R5-ES-2019-0098. If you want to know more. All right, so let's roll along. Uh, remember, this is a competition. We don't know which news story the other guy brought to the table. And at the end, our cherished audio engineer Phil will declare a winner, as he's known to do. It is my lead this week, I believe. Um, so advantage to me. And here's where we're going. Uh, recently, we talked at length about the invasive brook trout across the American West, juxtaposing the issue with just how beloved brookies are in the East. Well, guess what? A similar situation could be brewing, this time with smallmouths. Now, everybody loves a smallie, right? Negative. Uh, while smallies have been planted far and wide across the country, they're, they're really only native to the upper and middle Mississippi River basins. So why do we love them? Because they're voracious uh, and the damn things fight like the Dickens. But we've already covered how they've become a problem in Maine um, quite a while back after being illegally introduced into, into watersheds that grow wild trout and, and support landlocked salmon, which are very important to the state. Now, smallmouth could be knocking on the door of Yellowstone National Park right down the street from Hayden there. Uh, and if they infiltrate and take hold, this this could be, uh, and likely would be, a huge problem for both the wild and native trout populations, right? 
Per the story on K2Radio.com, on February 19th, a Montana State University student reported that uh, he had caught one smallmouth bass in the Gardner River, which is right outside the boundary of Yellowstone National Park. And he actually had had video to document this catch, so it's legit. Um, Now, the Gardner is a tributary of the Yellowstone River, which does have smallmouth bass residing in it, right? But my understanding uh, of it is that the fish has been caught very far from the lower stretches of the Yellowstone where smallmouth are typically found. So I I don't think there's necessarily a ton of mystery about how it got here, Um, but while it would have been a hell of a trek, a a, a smallmouth, again, to my understanding, could theoretically swim to this location from known smallie haunts. Uh, again, I keep in mind there there are no dams on the main stem Yellowstone that would Im- impede a fish from swimming uh, from very far away and covering a lot of ground. Now, with that in mind, I'm also not totally clear why it's being labeled as invasive unless smallmouths are considered invasive throughout the entire Yellowstone. Non-native seems to be a better label, but anyway, the question here is: um, is this a, a, a fluke, like a one-off? Or does it point to the potential for a population to take hold in this area? Now, my takeaway from the story is that wildlife officials are more concerned about keeping them out of Yellowstone National Park specifically, more so than the waters just outside of it. So it, it's not a matter of wanting to eradicate them from the entire system. Um, but, you know, obviously what part of what makes Yellowstone so iconic, uh, the park so iconic, is it's trout and trout fishing. And no doubt a heap of smallmouth could uh, compromise that. Um, Yellowstone has already had issues for many, many years with invasive lake trout, which are arguably even more voracious than smallies. Um, you know, the Lakers are mainly in Yellowstone Lake, and the rules in place say that anglers that catch them uh, should kill those or have to kill those. And the Park Service also sets nets for Lakers, and they say they kill around 300,000 annually. But uh, smallmouths would 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 you know, pose a bigger challenge. So Todd Cole, he's a Yellowstone supervisory fisheries biologist said, quote, the smallmouth bass on their own can't swim to Yellowstone Lake. So if they do get into the park, it'll be in the river systems like the Yellowstone River, the Lamar, things like that. In those systems, you can't do netting the way we do on Yellowstone Lake. It's a totally different habitat. In river systems, a lot of the time, they're flowing pretty strong, so you can't really put nets in large rivers like the Yellowstone. It's an advantage to the non-native species. You're limited to what you can do to remove them. Trojan um, smallies. So it, tro- <laughs> yeah, tro- <laughs> Trojan smallies for the win, although hopefully, you know, <laughs> I'm not so convinced it's going to... Terrible branding for Trojan condoms. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yes, you are correct. They, they would not, that would be memes out the wazoo. Um, yeah. So, look, is this on? Is this like on, on the cusp of happening? I don't really think so. I mean, right now it's one smallmouth bass. Uh, but for, for, the, for the non-believers out there, you know, I, I'll tell you this. For years, I kept a big tank with some fish that I caught in it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Had a couple crappies swimming in the living room, a couple pickerel. And um, I remember one time I caught this micro smallmouth out of this creek. I mean, this tiny, tiny little guy. And I threw him in there, and he was smaller than every fish in the tank and terrorized the living shit out of all of them. I mean, he had them cowering in the corner. I mean, a pickerel that could damn near eat him was cowering 
in the corner of, of a tank. So as much as I love smallmouth bass, and I do think it's cool when you have one of these rivers where trout and smallmouth naturally cross over. You have some big mm-hmm. browns and some nice smallmouth. Um, yeah, man, like they 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 are mean and territorial, and they can screw up a system. Yeah. So would not be a good thing if if they got into uh, Yellowstone and really took. Would them. not be a good thing, man. You know, it's it, it's it's interesting, and we're gonna get into this in my news story, but um. You know, it's kind of like the the double edge of a a dammed river, and obviously, I'm not advocating uh, damming the Yellowstone, but it, right. a lot of times it works as an effective barrier. Um, yeah. So when you know what, let's hit an ad, and let's get right into uh, into my news story where we talk about how dams might be a good thing in a particular instance of an invasive Asian carp. Please enter your password. You have one unheard message. Joe, it's Hayden. God damn you. You knew that you were supposed to get those rods from 13 and send them my way. And now I see you all over Instagram fishing with the rods that were meant for me. Send them when you get a minute, please, and thank you. Bye. End of message. Delete. Press 7. Save. Deleted. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today.
All right. So uh, as promised before the break, this week we're talking about carp, specifically illegal carp dealers and all sorts of conservation issues that go along with that. So over the last four years, Wisconsin authorities have been trying to stop a lone wolf fish dealer from dealing his fish. Mr. Lee Ping of Platteville, Wisconsin. Oh, I feel like this guy's come up before. This is not his first rodeo in the news, is it? I mean, it's a pretty common name. I think he's come up for it. Well, anyway, uh, so he's been formally convicted of selling a very invasive species, or I guess a couple different invasive species, those being uh, three varieties of Asian Mm. carp. All this stemmed from a public complaint filed in 2018 after building their case against Mr. Ping using undercover agents, surveillance, and GPS tracking. Wisconsin DNR filed charges in 2020. So... This has been ongoing. Yeah. Oh, that's probably where this came up in news before. That's probably what we hit. Yeah. Yeah. Same dude, same issue. Here's the conviction, folks. (laughs) Um, I'd also like to know exactly what this sting operation looked like. Like, I I, I left a message for somebody in uh, Grant County, Wisco, where uh, where the incident occurred, but I, I have yet to hear back. Anyway, uh, they believe that Mr. Ping has been selling these carp for years prior. To you know, uh, to to this finding and this operation and ultimately this conviction, and I, I think like what they tracked was something like nine thousand pounds of live Asian mm-hmm. carp had been sold. Anyway, this was a first ever for Wisconsin uh, DNR officials as Asian carp have never been sold in the state as far as they know. Meaning, uh, I, I guess there are likely just more successful carp dealers than uh, than, than Mr. Pink. <laughs> so let's talk about these carp. I'm sure that many of you know what Asian carp are. I also assume there are many of you who are listening and thinking right at this moment, there are carp all over Wisconsin. What's the big deal? Well, the folks who know what Asian carp are are currently screaming at their phones. Asian carp are not common carp, which have been kicking around Wisconsin waterways since the 1800s. Asian carp are not only highly invasive, but also highly destructive. The main concern, and Joe, like, you know, you can bring your understanding of it here. Um, the main concern is that they outcompete native fish for both space and resources, as well as lowering the water quality, uh, often through eating like native mussels and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen videos of like hundreds of fish flying out of the water behind a boat, those are uh, the Asian carp we're talking about. Anyhow, one of the main reasons this is obviously problematic is the transfer of an invasive species into waterways in which they currently have not been found. Of particular concern are Asian carp getting into the Great Lakes, which could be catastrophic for the fisheries, which like generate an estimated like $7 billion of revenue yeah, every and year. And that's a war that's been being fought for yeah. years, trying to keep these things yeah. out of the Great so, Lakes. So, Joe, last week we proved that you are not very good at uh, geography. Uh But I'm sure you know this. Wisconsin borders Lake Superior, and Asian carp have been found in the St. Croix River, which connects via wetlands to Lake Superior. This would be troublesome, except for the fact that there is one much maligned but now convenient obstacle in the way, a 20-foot hydroelectric dam. And after navigating this 20-foot hurdle, uh, Asian carp would also need to get through um, these, these aforementioned wetlands. Uh, that that connect the end of the St. Croix to Lake Superior. Um, because of all this, the Army Corps of Engineers is not terribly concerned about the Asian carp entering through this means, and Lake Superior seems to be safe from Wisconsin-originated carp finding their way into the lake at this moment. That said, the sale of invasive species in this way to folks who might put them 
in Lake Superior or a nearby body of water that could indirectly transfer them into Lake Superior is still a major concern. And that's exactly, exactly like what the concern is with what Mr. Ping has been facilitating. Yeah, as I, as I remember it, I mean, so so live live is obviously a no no, and there's some gray area even on dead, but it's just it's just too risky. I remember part of the fight last time was well, this guy is repurposing them. He's taking something that we don't want anyway and creating a use for them. Um, but I, I I recall that was the issue is that they were not all dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's exactly like sort of it. Uh, for the record, you can still buy and transport Asian carp in Wisconsin just as long as they're either completely disemboweled or their gills have been completely destroyed. You know, it's like right. It's like anything else. I mean, you know, in it, there are plenty of states with like the rusty crawfish, right? Where mm-hmm. you can transport them all you want as long as they've been boiled, you know, or or as long as yeah. it's like just tails. The second that you try and bring one of those things live, like that's where like the problem is, obviously. Um, another interesting thing to note in this case is that uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ping was transferring these carp in unmarked refrigerated trucks, making it very hard for folks to identify him as like. I don't know, a, a seller of the live carp fish. Guy. Yeah, this is a carp guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mr. Carp. Um, yeah. Anyhow, uh, look, it's very concerning and uh, good for the Wisconsin DNR for hopefully nipping this in the bud. Mr. Ping has obviously lost all ability to continue as a fish farmer and is ordered to pay $13,000 in fines as a result of a, uh, of a plea deal, which seems like not yeah. enough, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, look, the guy the guy's doing bad stuff. He's doing illegal things. At the same time, I think the argument still stands. It's like if this guy could just do this right, could just follow the rules, he's doing a good thing, right? He is he is repurposing something that shouldn't be here. And and I mean, a little more on these carp. A lot of them are filter feeders. They eat very, wait, they eat very small but, but, organisms. But is he doing a good thing? Like why farm him at all? Right, but see, my interpretation of that is I don't necessarily think just he may very well own a fish farm or what he calls a fish farm doesn't necessarily mean that he's growing the Asian carp. I think that 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 kind of sums it up. It doesn't he doesn't have documentation of how they were caught, which means he probably also has an illegal commercial operation. Mm. So if I'm correct on that, the the point kind of stands that it's like if he were just doing everything he's doing on the up and up, if he's got enough buyers for Asian carp. Great, kill as many as you possibly can and sell them. So, you know, this is one of those deals where it's like, dude, how hard is it to, to get the permits and do it the right way? You know, but I, I won't take away. I mean, he's not. So therefore, he kind of deserves what he gets. I mean, rules is rules, Marty. You know what I mean? <laughs> rules is rules, Joe. And uh, to that end, I, I believe that uh, Phil Taylor, our beloved engineer, is going <laughs> to issue his ruling on uh, on who wins fish news. Uh you know, Joe, you want to uh, you want to make the segue, or should I do it? No, I'll do it because okay. as soon as we're done hearing from Phil, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a little spin on the most ridiculous vehicle that uh, <laughs> we've ever seen. The winner this week is Hayden Zamek. <laughs> Hayden, thank you so much for that story. Um, but I would like to say a big no, thank you to these officials in Wisconsin because that guy was also my psychedelic toad dealer. And now I'm going to have to find something else to lick in the bathroom at work. Well, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at. Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. A uh, big shout out to listener James Helland for sending this one along. Uh, 
and it's a bit of a departure for us, okay? We're, we're sort of entering a new octagon here because we um, we typically lean on on old, weird, beat-up stuff from Craigslist and the like. Mm. Uh, and occasionally we'll dabble in cheap gimmickry from, like, the Facebook marketplace. But the item up for auction today is probably, if it's not the highest-priced uh, item we've ever had, it's got to be close. Um, and, and in my opinion, at least, it's it's one of the most absurd, and I'm curious to see if we're going to agree on that. Yeah, the only thing I think that's, like, comparably priced and, like, comparably categorized would be, do you remember what we did that uh, that converted fish camper thing? Yeah, the, the, the somebody turned how much that, that was going for. I not, feel like it was going for, like, five or six grand. Okay, well, that this is, yeah, that's still cheaper than what we're going to talk yeah, about today. Yeah, anyhow, okay, yeah. So it's it's definitely fair to say that this item has a fishing application, but it transcends just fishing. And what we're talking about is the Z Triton. This is the future. This is Z Triton. A boat, a tricycle, and a camper combined in one. Z Triton. Z Triton. A self-propelled vehicle that is a tricycle, boat, and RV all wrapped up into one oh-so-convenient package. <laughs> yeah, kind of, I think. And to get wrapped up into one yourself with some modicum of comfort, uh, I hope you're very, very small. Like, not Joe Cermelli or Hayden Samak size. Like, you gotta <laughs> you, be like You could it. do it. I couldn't. Um, so what is this? Well, it's the brainchild of Latvian designer Igars Lousis. And I, isn't, 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 isn't Wowzers, Lousers. I mean, I know, isn't isn't Giannis of Latvian descent? Because I'm sure I'm butchering that name and I'll probably hear about it. No, um, no, no. They call him the the Latvian eagle because he's Irish. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Um, so so this this feller has got a four-minute video on his website that tells the story of how the Z Triton came to be. And it came to be because Igers um took it upon himself to bike more than thirty thousand kilometers from London to Tokyo, which tells me at minimum he probably doesn't have children. Anyway, uh, we all know how hard it can be taking your touring bike thirty thousand kilometers uh because it can't cross water. It is not a boat. And you have to carry your tent and things and set the darn thing up every night, which is just, that just sucks. If only there were a tricycle capable. <laughs> <laughs> that is also an RV and a boat. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Igers was like, obviously I need to find a solution to this very common problem. I came up with a solution that combines a small boat, a tricycle, and a tiny camper. Not long after, I built the first mock-up in foam board, while still on the road during a stopover in Shanghai. And that's how it all began. Afterwards, Igers returned to Europe, set up a company, and built the first Z-Triton prototype. It's a, it's a hard thing to describe. It's weird, man. Yeah. We, we don't really know where to start with it, but immediately what comes to mind is that it looks like the escape vehicle uh, Jeff Bezos would use if his <laughs> like, mega yacht sank. I can picture that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, we'll like throw shots of this on Instagram uh, today, but try to picture this. Up front, you got like a wheel and handlebars and a folding bicycle seat that extends over the stern which is complete with like cleats and what appear to be like run you know runners yeah okay now if you're moving backwards away from that stern now now you get to what's sort of the RV portion so picture uh, a very like geometric igloo on the back of igloo. a rowboat igloo 
Igloo, igloo, <laughs> igloo, igloo, whatever. The Eskimos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the igloo has solar panels. Um, and in the video, Igar even has a, a plant growing out of a special plant holder on the roof that, according to the video, allows you to take your favorite plant with you. And a pot that allows you to take your favorite plant on an adventure with you. Um, now, there are wheels built into the underside of, of, if you of this ha- Hold on, real quick. If you have to take a plant with you to go out into nature, you don't belong there, man. <laughs> like, that's the Some... nice thing about, there's a nice thing about nature, man. There are lots of plants already out there. Yes, yes, right. So now now there are <laughs> wheels built into the underside uh, of, the, of, the, of, of this boat. Um, which make the whole package a tricycle on land, but then on water you fold uh, those rear wheels up, inflate, and strap on some pontoons, right? Uh, And the entire front pedal drive folds up, the roof slides back, and now you have a boat complete with an electric trolling motor and a steering wheel. It even has a tiny instrument panel for, you know, like interior and exterior lights, plus a fan. Um, and, and and those of you familiar with the tricked out tuggy sandboxes that have come up so many times on this show, this puts them all to shame, right? This is this is like a a a, uh, a high production level tricked out tuggy. And of course, there are even oars in case you you run out of juice. Now, like the. Uh there is an incredible amount of engineering and technology in the Z Triton. There's yeah. no denying that it's got solar panels and in trike mode, it has an electric motor assist. So like, you, you know, like, like yeah. any sort of e-bike, right? Yeah. It's got Bluetooth. Hey, there's even USB charging. And in camper mode, which isn't much different than boat mode, you have a tiny table room to sleep to if you're like, very intimately inclined really like each other and, and, yeah. and plenty of storage for as it like notes your rucksacks 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 and there are like you know as we've been kind of bringing clips in i'm there's this weird like i don't know how to describe it well maybe it's like if you described um outdoor pursuits to somebody who has never been outside before yeah and, and, yeah. and like and, and the, like photo, the photos a, of the things people are doing on the site, like in this thing, are oh, incredible. Well, I'm, I'm going to get to that. I got, I got, I got to talk about one thing in particular, man. So, number one, there's this weird infatuation with rucksacks, rucksacks that like Igar feels the need to include. And then the well, other he is thing, from Latvia. They don't have. I don't know if they have Jan Sports over there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> they, they anyway. They're uh, you're going to get us in trouble with Giannis. There's a uh, there's a photo of a. I'm doing air quotes. Like you can't see it, but I'm doing them. Um, of a wildlife photographer. Oh, I saw this, dude. Yeah. This is my favorite part of this whole thing. And it, it, it's like a clip of him photographing who knows what with this like telephoto lens. But like, what's so funny about it is he's shooting his photo through the the plexiglass windshield. Yeah, which, like, like he's hiding. Yeah. Well, well yeah. it's not even that. It's like, I'm not a photographer, but I assume that you would probably be inclined to like, I don't know, move six inches to the right or left and get around the windshield <laughs> instead of shooting through it. Number two, the dude is in. Th- so another thing about this, uh, the Z Triton is that it's like aggressively teal, right? That's the color. Yes. Teal. Very bright. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's yes. like aggressively, like aggressively foam teal. Yeah. And the dude is sitting in the middle of this very conspicuous craft in a camo poncho with full face paint. And he pulls up the camera to take this picture and is not looking at like the, the LCD screen viewfinder. 
he's not looking at like the the manual viewfinder, like the little I don't know. I, right. He has it. He has like everything pressed right up against his forehead in such a way that he would never be able to see out of either of these things, the yeah, viewfinder or the screen. I know. I know, dude. I know the 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 the, the marketing photos chosen. Uh, are strange, but look, we'll, we'll we'll move on with this yeah, thing, yeah, right? Okay. I also just want to add, they didn't linger on the sleeping of the two people very long in the video because, no. like, you'd have to have no desire to roll over at any point in the night. Couples looking for romantic weekend getaways. So listen, right? We need not debate. I think the value of the product. If you're genuinely the person that is going to to take it long distances and use all these features to. I don't. I mean, basically, live off the grid for a little while. But I think that's very few people overall. So to just look at it from a fishing perspective, I don't know, right? Because while it does pack so much into one vehicle, it looks to me like you have room for nothing, right? And on the water, um, I get the impression like it'd be fine if you don't move or shift your weight while at you're all. operating this at at a boat. So. Imagine being crammed into a pod with your your tackle on your lap, trying to maneuver uh, the boat, casting, fighting fish. I mean, I, I could not find the exact specs on the website, but the, the whole package can't be much longer than 10 feet. And if you've ever been fishing on a 10-foot John boat, especially with two people, which I have, and it sucks, right? Now, now imagine doing so on a 10-foot John boat that also has a roof and a cabin and extra parts and pieces just sprouting from everywhere. Yeah, I mean, in theory, it makes sense. Well, you know, bike to the lake, fish the lake, camp on the banks. But for the privilege of doing that with one kind of clunky vehicle, you're paying north of 15 grand. $15,000. That is is the price. Now, I mean, dude, at five grand, maybe I could see it. Six grand, you know, but... I just can't help but think about what $15,000 buys you in like used truck caps and and used aluminum boats. Um, So let's call it like it is. You've already hinted as much. Even if you had the money for this, if you saw someone roll up to the lake in this John and splash, like, would you be like, oh my God, how neat is that? Would that that be your reaction? Yep. No. (laughs) (laughs) It probably would. You're probably not even lying. No, no, no. You're probably not even lying. My reaction would... Like, I would wave at this person. I'd be like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? You know? And then the second that I thought that that individual was out of earshot, I'd, like, turn to my buddy and just ridicule that person just mercilessly. Yeah. I, number one, I imagine whoever whoever's driving it has, like, a turtleneck on. <laughs> and, like, definitely those, uh, who makes them? Those, those water, like, sandals with, like, the closed toe, like, the inner, the keen. I, I think they're keen. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, not really, but, yeah. Okay, kinda. just imagine, like, the most, like, uh, what, what do you and Bob call them? Mooks? Mooks. Yeah. Yeah. Mook imagine would, yeah, a mook a, would drive it. You're a mook. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, upper elite granola hybrid kind of vehicle like somebody who likes to think of them as an outdoorsman but is really like a house cat well there you, go. <laughs> you heard it here first uh, uh upper elite granola or whatever you just said uh i don't yeah i i would at least be making fun of you in my head 
So uh, check this thing out. We'll post it. We'd love to know what you guys think. Anyway, Jeff, thanks for sending that along. It was fun. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah, we're curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. The website, if you're interested, is z-triton.com. If you can't wait to get your hands on your own Z-Triton, we have great news for you. Z-Triton 2.0 is ready for production. So take a step into the future, pre-order your Z-Triton now, and start planning your next adventure. Z-Triton. And uh, hey, if you find something fishing-related and ridiculous for sale on the World Wide Web, do please make sure to send those links to bent at themeateater.com. Dude, I don't know what it is, man. That wildlife photographer just, like... I, I think we should post that, too. You know, it doesn't give you a good shot of the Z Triton, but we should, one of us should throw that up too. Yeah, I came like so close to commenting on the YouTube video, but as is so often the case, I I typed something, thought about it, and then deleted it. Yeah, and that's the right thing to do. Like, I I don't ever, like, I don't really drop comments unless it's like a bent fan or a buddy of mine and I have something to say. I don't, like, I would, yeah, I, Igers doesn't need to hear my thoughts. It's no. fine. He's hearing it enough from other people. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it, it, it was something that took a surprising amount of like uh, self-restraint. Although there's a certain freedom in just like relentlessly sharing your thoughts, uh, even when unsolicited. Well, it's kind of like this podcast. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, good news. For uh, some reason, people are actually asking us to share our thoughts. And this week, we're going to try our best to help one listener figure out why he sucks at striper fishing on the Bent Helpline. What are you laughing at, Martini? You're not an idiot? Huh? You're not a damn loony now, boy. You're a fisherman. <laughs> What's your emergency? This week, we've got a question from listener Richard Jackson, who hails from the uh, SoCal High Desert, and uh, he's a striper guy, so I'm, a, I'm nice. about that. Um, he's a little all over the place here with the question, but we're going to try and whittle it down. So he says, I have a question about targeting wintertime freshwater striped bass from the bank. As I don't own a boat and the lake I love to fish, which I'm going to keep out of it, we don't need to burn the dude's spot, does not allow boats or any watercraft. What is your favorite retrieve for a bucktail in the winter? I usually use a half ounce or one ounce bucktail year round, but it seems that all I catch in winter is large mouths and small mouths. I want to up my game and get a 20-pound striper this year, but relying on the spring and fall run feels like it can be too easy, and I will verify what he says next. They'll hit a polished turd if you throw it into one of those massive boils. Uh, The bucktails I throw are usually white, red, or chartreuse. Do you think I should switch to black or blue for getting them when they are deeper in the winter? Um, Like I said, there's a a lot going on there, but I I think – now, granted – Know a lot about stripers on the East Coast. Know a fair amount about stripers inland into the Carolinas and Tennessee and how that game works. Have not fished for them um, in SoCal or out West. But uh-huh. they're going to behave. I mean, stripers behave like stripers. And right. really, Richard, I think that the issue here, which we can talk more about, um, you're not casting to where they are. I just, I, I kind of think, look, having looked up the body of water that you're fishing, uh, it's pretty deep. It's a fairly big reservoir. Uh, and even though your winters are warmer, certainly, than out here, I would suspect that stripers are still going to do wintertime things. And, and here, that's often, they go with the bait, right? And in the wintertime, bait suspends in in open water, sometimes very deep, and the stripers will suspend out there with it. So I don't really think it's the lure or the color or the approach. Um, I just don't think from shore... <laughs> 
You can get You didn't give me any <laughs> You can get the bucktail to the striped bass. Now I'm laughing, folks, because uh when Joe and I were talking about uh selecting a question, I told him, I was like, Well, here's what I know about this. It's not much, so I'm gonna give the basic answer, and then you come and elaborate. And Joe, you just stole everything that I told you I was about to say. Well, I mean, we've just informed the <laughs> listener, though, have we not? What would you like to he was add like, to I'm that? I'm going to tee you up. Well, I was going to say that he's in a reservoir, and those fish are probably suspending deep. And what he needs to do is find uh, find where that is, and it is not so much the color. But because you've already said that, I'm just going to shut the heck up and let you keep going. No, 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 dude. That's look. I'm not saying that. The- yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that there's not a a spot within that reservoir where maybe you'd be more successful. I don't know what the underwater topography looks like. I don't know where the drops are. But uh, there's a very good chance those fish in the dead of winter are suspended out there in 20 or 30 or 50 feet of water where all the bait is. Um, wait, wait, hey, hey, what's it called? We're, I'll delete it. I'll, like, I'll delete the thing. See if it's on Navionics. Oh, my free trial membership expired. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, moving on. So it's funny, though, that he he brings up um, only catching small mouths and large mouths in the winter, right? Because anywhere you go, hair jigs in general, whether it's bucktail or synthetic, or we, we've talked about float and fly on here, very good wintertime bait. But I also think j- just the fact alone that he's catching large mouths and small mouths in the winter also points to him not being necessarily deep enough or mm. in the right places. You know what I mean? Like thinking about where stripers set up on rivers and lakes here, you're typically not catching the stripers where the smallmouths are. They just do different things. Yep. Yep. Um, well, I'm satisfied with that answer, Joe. What do you think? I think I think he's probably learned something from that. I'm so, I'm sorry. I feel bad now that you haven't contributed. But in fairness, I didn't ask you to team me up for your carbon monoxide deal. I let you have the floor. That's your area of expertise. Is it not? I'm going to take the carbon monoxide alarms out of your shanty, Joe. <laughs> So that's it for this week. Make sure to camo up in your super yacht lifeboat when snapping pictures of pheasants from a safe distance. Break out those swim baits, even if you don't think there's a bass big enough to eat one in your lake. And remember, putting your ice gear in the storage unit and organizing your warm water gear definitely counts as spring cleaning. Yeah, and whether it's uh, more spring or more winter where you are, keep using those degenerate angler and bent podcast hashtags on the old Instagram uh, we always love to see what you're catching. Help me live vicariously through you. <laughs> we do. And finally, remember that while we encourage the investment in some high-quality swim baits, don't come crying to us when you put them in a tree within three casts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. 
They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. 